I've always been hugely interested in power and how power worked in a period where there was no army, there was no police force, there was no bureaucracy, there was no modern communications. That's what I'm fascinated by. And a moment that had haunted me for a very long time was the moment in July 1553 when Edward VI, the boy king that Henry VIII had really moved heaven and earth to, to conceive, lay dying at the age of just 15. So all Henry VIII's plans for the power of his regime and the future power of his regime were crumbling. And, of course, it's, it's a moment that I'd been very familiar with for a long time, and the Tudors were my first love, historically. Um, and it suddenly hit me that at that moment, in July 1553, the ex absolutely extraordinary fact was that there was nobody left to be king of England. There were only women left on the Tudor family tree. And I think we tend to take that a little bit for granted because we know that Elizabeth is coming. And of course, historically, it's extraordinarily hard not to have hindsight hovering around one's peripheral vision, however hard one tries. But it did suddenly strike me that that moment must have been terrifying for the men standing around Edward's deathbed because Everything they knew, culturally and politically, told them that women were not equipped to rule. And that thought uh, then not only um, precipitated a whole series of thoughts about Tudor England, but also made me think about what I knew about medieval England, and how actually, for all the um, apparently obvious pronouncements about the relationship between men and women, there were moments in medieval England when women did either come close to or actually acquired power for themselves and I thought that would be a fascinating tale to tell uh, and, and really that's what then made me think about who I might write about in the Middle Ages and she Wolves was the result. Because it has, I mean the first thing that strikes you though, apart from uh, uh, what uh, Ian Mortimer says about the quality of your prose, describing you as one of the few scholars in the country who is also a first class prose writer, um, is that it has a very complex chronology, or it seems reasonably complex chronology, because you start with Edward VI as key moment when there are no um, uh, male heirs. I mean, is there absolutely no one at all who could have been a legitimate? The, the only one who might conceivably have had a claim was Henry Lord Darnley, the son of Margaret Douglas, who was the daughter of Henry VIII's sister Margaret, who had married uh, in Scotland. Um, he was a child at the time and the interesting thing is no one even remotely suggested him for a number of reasons I suspect one was that Margaret Douglas's own birth had been called into question when her parents marriage broke down this was Margaret Tudor's second marriage to Archibald Douglas the Earl of Angus secondly he was Catholic um, and of course the religious um, convulsions of the moment of 1553 were also enormously complex but I, th I think the overall conclusion would be that Henry Lord Darnley even had anyone suggested him solved nothing uh, and therefore everybody else on the Tudor family tree at that point remaining as a possible heir was female partly because the Tudors had not been terribly successful at producing boys as, as it happened and partly because, of course, they had gone to such lengths to make sure that anyone else with a drop of royal blood who might possibly challenge the Tudor claim to the throne and who was also male should 
uh, not live too long. Um, and, and so it really is a very, a, a very dramatic moment. And actually that, that idea of um, happenstance, you know, how particular circumstances come together, conspire to produce particular political moments or particular political developments is a, is a very important theme of the book, one that I kept coming back to, that we tend to think matters of inheritance and legitimacy are matters of law and precedent and, you know, theoretical rightness. And actually, most of the time, it's what you can get away with or who's got the biggest sword in their hand or something like that that then is le legitimised retrospectively and that's how the precedents emerge not from technical legal judgments but from the political realities of, of a particular moment. So it's very much the case that what, what becomes Mary's legitimacy and ultimately Elizabeth's legitimacy is one that's not theorised in advance, it's theorised post. That's exactly right.